welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I am Charity McClure. Ruth Haley Barton is here, but I'm acting a little bit more as a host today so that her and Scott can be in a conversation together and with me about Scott's Advent resource book called Honest Advent. Scott is an artist, an author, a spiritual director, and just a creative seeking person. And so this is a really fun conversation to get to be in with him and the images that he has created that invite us into some deeper conversations about topics that often are stirred up during Advent. So we're glad that you're here with us again. We are heading into the third Sunday of Advent, and we're thankful to be journeying with you. If you have not joined us on Patreon, now would be a great time. We have a seven-day free trial, so you can go ahead and sign up for free and see what's going on over there. We've got some video of the episodes and some some Visio Divina practices with the images that we hope will invite you even beyond the conversations that we're having together on the podcast. So this week, we are exploring the question, where is God in our humanity? And Scott is going to kick us off with one of the images that he has that really speaks to our humanity. And that's the image for chapter 13 called Sacred. And so, Scott, yeah, yeah, (laughs) this book is really like an Instagram baby, meaning I started making these illustrations and just putting them on Instagram, which is a good testing spot and overwhelming response. And so then year after year, I started making more this image. It's of this woman who is, some people think she's birthing. And for me, it wasn't that. I just remember one morning my wife was getting up and she was just like, oh, my back hurts so bad. And just like in bed, just like, oh, and just witnessing the, the discomfort and the pain that can come with your body changing or your body growing another child. So I was trying to depict that. And somebody you know, it was a, a young person. They thought it might be like overly sexualized. And it it's a good note because we all live in a culture where sexual and objectification and abuse has been done to women. We should definitely call that out. But I, I think it's more what was happening there is a religious culture that's a bit insecure with fleshiness. Yeah. And here's what I mean. I'm an artist and I make art that's about my spiritual journey or about spiritual things. And and some people like to go, oh, you make like sacred art. And I think a good question to ask is like, what makes something sacred? Like if you were going to make a sacred art piece, what makes it sacred? We could start with the subject matter. So something happened that to a person or a bunch of people, and they were like, whoa, that moment transformed us. And we want to always remember that moment because something changed for us. So they go, okay, let's, what was happening? Or this person was there, this was this, and put it together. And they're like, well, if we're going to make this into a painting, maybe we could change our outfits and make them a little nicer. Maybe <laughs> like our hair is done up better. I don't know, whatever. Because if you're going to memorialize something, you want to kind of, that moment, even if it was mundane, it meant a lot. And you're trying to, express that it meant something like the act of memorializing something out of reverence it 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 tends to clean it up a little bit more and i and that there's nothing wrong with that i i understand that inclination i think one of the unforeseen byproducts of that is we're unintentionally dismissing the non-glittery parts of our humanity 
in that process of it. So when you go into a church or a cathedral that has all this sacred art up, all of a sudden, you don't really relate to any of those people because specifically in like Renaissance paintings and stuff, they're all like really buff and their draperies perfect and there's lights coming out of their head and stuff. And you're like, ah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's what it should be. I can't, re I don't find myself at all in this painting. Mm. So I think the invitation for the artist is still to do the same thing is to contextualize it and to bring up and to bring in the, the, the things that maybe are less glossy in a human life, like our fleshiness and stuff. And I don't think any of you here or even listening are unfamiliar with our uncomfortability with the embodiment of a, <laughs> of a human life, especially the culture, the Christian culture I grew up in. You know, sex was obviously like the major sin. And I think even bad translations of the Bible of what flesh is just became this like, we're supposed to hate our bodies in some way. And yet, in my witness to a pregnancy and to an incarnation, the body is the thing that brings about a new life. It is the thing that grows. It is its giving of itself and offering us vehicle to a new entity, you know? Like, we are some mystery of a, a consciousness, a soul that we can't put a finger on, but it's woven into whatever this is. The incarnation of Jesus lets us know that God cares about our bodies. And I, I'm sure this brings up all kinds of things in the culture we live in with like anti-aging products. I have a joke in my show, Say Yes, where I'm talking, I'm doing this like spoken word thing and I go, oh, I love my body. Well, look, I'm trying. <laughs> I've been programmed to see it as not good enough for so long, mostly in speedo situations that I forget how wonderful it is to be incarnate in, in such a magical and biological masterpiece. And I actually remember this the most when I hug my kids. Because we are given this like, what should our bodies be like? And that messes with us. But then when I say, I remember this most when I hug my kids because I don't care what I look like in a Speedo when I'm hugging my son. Because this is the thing I get to use to deliver love to somebody I love. My journey as an artist and as an image maker is to go, what makes something sacred? What is reverence? How does this have an effect on us? How have we dismissed ourselves from these sacred stories because we're like, well, look at all this, you know? <laughs> like, I'm curious what it brings up in you because like, these are my thoughts, but you have your bodies and you have your thoughts on this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely feel that it's important for our spiritual journeys to really grapple with what it means to be bodies, not just be in a body, but to actually be bodies. So Teilhard de Chardin's quote, you know, we're not human beings trying to become spiritual, we are spiritual beings trying to become human, is is a really thought-provoking idea because what it says is that we're on the same incarnational journey that Jesus himself was on. Jesus chose an incarnational journey. Yes. He chose to enter yes. into a body to move, make this movement from being a person who existed just at, spiritually, at, at the mm -hmm. level of spirit, to exist in flesh and l learn how to become human, be yeah. human, and yeah. elevate the human experience in so doing. And the same journey is the journey that we're on, that we are spiritual beings who are now learning what it means to be human and that that journey itself was elevated by Jesus, but also it's one of the ways that we glorify 
God is by being good humans, by learning what it means to be human and being the very thing that God created us to be. And I agree with you that, unfortunately, the scriptural translations of the word flesh and our understanding about the word flesh, especially the way Paul used it, hasn't been helpful Mm -hmm. because it doesn't refer to the body. It refers to the spirit of being against God. And so, but you know, but because of the way it's been translated, we've all become very suspicious of our fleshness, you know, our bodies. And so I think a really important part of our spirituality that the incarnation can help us with is to see our journeys in our bodies and in our humanity as being a place where God wants to meet us Mm -hmm. and that our bodies as a place where God dwells. What does that mean? The fact that God chose to come through a human body into existence physically is, Mm -hmm. you know, an incredibly powerful idea Mm -hmm. if we actually do spend time reflecting on it, as uncomfortable as it may be, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm. And yet we don't, we still haven't figured out how to do the humaning very Mm -hmm. well. Very well. I mean, I'm in a season right now where I'm trying to even figure out what does embodiment mean to, you know, I live a lot up here mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that that's just about Americanness. I think it's also about our, our spiritual tradition that we live mm-hmm. a lot in our heads, mm-hmm. you know, and we try to figure things out a lot in our heads. And so I'm curious to both of you, what, it, what does it mean to experience embodiment at the level at which we're, we're talking, you know what I mean? How do we bring it down to an actual practice or experience or invitation to be embodied? You know what I mean? Cause I don't know that we know how to, I, I know we can, we can talk about it a lot, but what does that mean? What does yeah. it mean to try to experience God in these ways and to experience ourselves as spiritual beings trying to become human when a lot of times we cut ourselves off from our human needs and we try to transcend our human needs, you know, and live beyond our limitations in our human bodies. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the issue is that we live, we as Christians live between two realities. The church and religious tradition has oftentimes repressed any sense of life in a body and sort of elevated our spiritual lives over our physical lives in a body. So, you know, as Christians in that religious tradition, we've become somewhat repressed, but then in the, the, the worldly, you know, secular arenas, there's an objectification of the body that reduces it to the way that it looks. And so when you objectify the body and you judge it and evaluate it only on the basis of how it looks, it is hard to live between those two places as Christians because this is a truly deeply third way. Yeah. You know, between religious tradition that diminishes and denigrates really life in the body, and then you've got a secular culture that's objectifying the body. We are trying to find a very different well, and path. Don't, and don't you think that that's what this image is, is that third that third way, you mm-hmm. know, that it's if people are uncomfortable with the image of a pregnant woman and the aching in her body mm-hmm. and what it takes to to do all this. But we're okay walking through our grocery store aisles and seeing magazines of people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we Photoshop beca- magazines. Right. Well, yeah. we've been like, we're used to those kinds of images of women. You yeah. know what I mean? But this kind of a, a woman's body in this provocative way, I could imagine that there's going to be some people who are uncomfortable with it. And to me, it actually is that third way that it is the reality of life in a body. It's the beauty of the physicality that we see, but also with, you know, the realness Mm -hmm. to it about the spiritual journey and what it, you know, what it means or what it means to be human, like actually human, not like a model human. And I think what you meant was evocative, not provocative, right? Do do you? Well, either way. I mean, yeah. 
I don't know. It, this this <laughs> That's evokes a good definition of terms. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but I mean, this evokes yeah. a lot. It's not. I don't think in your creation of it, you were meaning to be provocative. No, I wasn't. It, but oh, you're you're wanting to evoke something. Trust me, there mm -hmm. is a very easy way in the art world or art making that's just like, oh, let's just show some nakedness, mm -hmm. and that'll make me yeah. a talented and you, artist. And, and you're like, not doing that. I can tell sure, you're not doing sure. that. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did, my publisher made me take out three. Two nipples out of mm -hmm. out of five that were in the book. No, I'm mm -hmm. not to say. Yeah. <laughs> me, me, we had to find common ground. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because no, it's I'm not sure we've ever thing. said you nipples know, on like, this uh, on this podcast yet. So thank you, Scott. Great, I'm glad I could. I'm yeah, glad I could cover new ground. Thank you for bringing freshness to our situation. I just am, I feel like the refreshing mm -hmm. thing to me mm -hmm. is that the the church's inability to even mm -hmm. talk about the fact that this is what a pregnant this is what pregnancy yeah. even looks it. like. It's like it's like yeah. this. Let's, like, let's just keep it all shrouded and covered yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Jesus just yeah. came out and mm -hmm. then he was and he yeah. was like had a halo mm -hmm. and he was yeah. doing his teaching sign. Yeah. There is this like I it might just be from the I, yeah, there's this just uncomfortability with yeah. like how bodies mm -hmm. work in mm -hmm. some ways. And I would say to maybe take it a different way is one of the things I've really appreciated that I think is coming back in some ways. And my friend Hillary McBride mm -hmm. wrote a book called mm -hmm. The Wisdom of Your Body mm -hmm. is yeah. that there's this real resurgence in like an embodied spirituality and embodied experiences. And I've tangibly experienced this because one, and I'm sure you can relate to this, one of the the costs of traveling and speaking and performing is when I get home, I'm tired. The next day I'm tired. The next day I'm depressed. And it's real scheduled. It's weird. It's like, oh, and I'll be like, oh, today's my low day. Mm -hmm. Today's mm -hmm. my depressed day. And I've actually had to implement embodied spiritual practices, not head practices. Because right. my, on my depressed day, my mind is a mess. Yeah. I actually have rules that's like, you're not allowed to decide how your life is going or how your career is going. You're not allowed to make plans for the future. <laughs> you know, what you need to do is you need to go swim some laps or go on a long walk. You need to eat a good meal. You need to spend time physically with like a friend. Mm -hmm. Like they're very physical things because they're, as Hillary in her book title say, there's a wisdom in your body. Right that is accessible to you. And I think that has really transformed my spiritual life going, oh, I often just think spirit, what you were alluding to, I live up in my head a lot and just like, oh, my spirituality is my headness. But what we know now because of science and how we can measure what's going on in the body, like sometimes you have to live into realities. By doing it, it gets your heart and head into it. But with your body, your body goes first a lot of times. And even if we're living in our head, we are experiencing life in our body. Yes. And our body yes. is doing that whether we're aware of it or not. And yeah. so part of what I've been having to learn to unpack is what has been the impact of living in my body that I have not been present to in the ways that I can pay attention to what God might be saying. Because I can pay attention to what my limitations might be. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there's there is wisdom to be had and yet we don't have a lot of practice. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. doing that. And I think these meditations, as I got into the Advent meditations, it was this this woman of this like pregnant woman feeling physical pain was an invitation. <laughs> okay. This is, like, it was caused by God. <laughs> and I'm not saying God caused pain, but like this receiving this revelation and this calling 
there were moments when it hurt mm-hmm. to embody that. Surely when Abraham was asked to go to this other land, there was a moment on that hike. He's like, I'm tired. I need a nap. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like there it's funny in the 10 commandments, there's a practice of a Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? It's like, you gotta, was it just like a head rest or was it like a physical rest? Like your body needs time to heal. Like there's an embodiment even in those commandments. So it just opens us up to a larger conversation and a larger awareness of like how how do our bodies fit into all of this? How does our physicality? And then in the spectrum of human life, which kind of alludes to the the other image we have of this mighty God, of this baby having its butt wiped, is like, oh, in the span of a human life, you start off very vulnerable and fragile. And, and there is a vulnerability, as we've alluded to, throughout a human life, but also like we have strength and courage and the ability to build things and, 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 and work together. Like there's a lot of strength. I mean, I think we, one of the things we, the positive about like sports and athleticism is like, what is the magic of these bodies? What are bodies capable of doing? Like it's, and, and to see other people push that, maybe you've been inspired to be like, that person, did, I'm going to try to start running again, or I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to learn that skill. I'm going to go on a hike. Like it's wonderful to be in a body. Like maybe you've climbed a hike and then you got to the top and you felt the exhaustion and it's like a good exhaustion. But then we've also had these experiences where we get sick or there's a cancer or ailment or breaking a bone. And it's like, oh, there's a a pain of being. And we all know this, but what we're seeing in this incarnation story is like Jesus participates in that. God knows what it's like to be in a human body. And so when we feel like if there's a, a leading, maybe in this way of thinking about sacred art, if we think that we're God doesn't understand what it's like to be in a body. It's like, no, we have a God that knows. We know, we have a God that sympathizes what it what it is to be in a human body, and that effect, and that is part of our lives. And this is a like a meditation on that being a being in a body, being a body. I like how you mm-hmm. said being a body. We are a body. There's mm-hmm. no way to separate it. In the Hebrew culture, there was no word that would have separated the parts and pieces of a human. Hmm. That you you are one united whole. And I think that's the other thing that has happened within religious traditions in particular is this dual, you know, this creating of dualisms where there's the physical and there's the spiritual, they're separate, you elevate one over the other, denigrate the other one. And, you know, that's, that is, I don't believe that that's how God created us or sees us, that those parts of ourselves are separate, that they actually, all of it together makes up who we are and God wants to be with us, you know, in all of it. And, And I appreciate, you know, that you brought up some of the the really wonderful experiences. I and mean, we talked a lot about vulnerability in the last episode, but there are there are other aspects of being human, like feeling, like when you're young and feeling strong and competing and feeling, wow, I can do, I can do stuff in my body, you know, or, you know, pleasure, all sorts of pleasure, including sexual pleasure. That's also a part of, of life in a body and embracing that as part of what God has built into us versus seeing it as being separate yeah. from our spirituality and continuing to learn what it says about God, that God has created us this way. What does it say about God that God has created us as sexual beings, uh-huh. you know, able to co-create with each other? What does that say about God? You know, there's so much to learn about God as we look at it both ways, you know, as oh, we yeah. fully experience our human life, then we experience ourselves, I think, to be 
partaking in God's nature, yeah. partaking in what God wanted for us, partaking in God's good gifts for us. So the image, you know, is powerful because there's physical pain and vulnerability there. But we also know that this body is going to be really strong someday and push that baby out. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And that that's going to be a, an amazing moment to say, my body did that. My yeah. body did my that. My body did that. Yeah. Wow. And I remember the feeling, mm -hmm. you know, you being the first. <laughs> I remember the feeling of, wow, I cannot believe what my body can do, what yeah. my body's capable of doing. And I like a, an approach to looking at our humanity that includes both the vulnerability of it, but also mm -hmm. the many, many gifts of it as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I should give this stuff away because somebody's going to beat me to it, mm. but I started, I have a couple mm -hmm. book ideas or illustration projects. One was I was I started doing drawings of just how did Jesus use his body? Mm -hmm. Not because we were like, oh, the red letters, but mm -hmm. I was like, where it says like he reached out or yeah. he ran over to them. And I was like, oh, I've never seen anybody depict like just what was Jesus embodying in his actions. So I, that was a meditation. And then I've always, and it's probably because I'm an Enneagram 4 and my spiritual animal is Eeyore, the donkey. But like I'm a tend to, I tend to be on the sadder side, the melancholy side. And I, I love all the crying parts in the Bible. And uh, a, hot, a hot quote from me, and I should get quoted on this more, is I, look, I'm a Christian because of the resurrection, but I'm, I think I'm still a Christian because of the shortest verse in the Bible, which mm -hmm. is Jesus wept. Because if there was a story of God incarnating in the world and he never ended up at his friend's funeral in tears, like we all have, I wouldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't believe the story because that is a hard part of embodiment is watching in what we don't know how to describe is like all of a sudden the embodiment becomes vacant and yeah. that person you love is gone and you're still here. And that is something that writers and poets and musicians and painters and people have been talking about since the beginning of time is that, and, and to see Jesus, I, I think <clears throat> my meditation on the mighty God is not that Jesus is like the best arm wrestler <laughs> in the world. I don't think it's about strength. I think it's about the willingness to be embodied and how mighty that is and, 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 and go through all that. And, and that is the, that's the magic to me. That's the hope to me. Yeah, what you said was Jesus is mighty not because of his capacity to overcome hardship, but because of his willingness to go through human hardship like we have to. Yeah, yeah. So while it might be a, a two-year commitment, it's actually a lifelong invitation to a change, a changing the way that we approach our relationship with God and the way that that flows through us to others. What I really love is that transforming community has a practice of building a depth to be able to hold tensions, to be able to understand what it means to be a person in body. And so then when you put on like the issues of race, it's not a shock to the system. When you put on issues of injustice, it's not a shock to the system. From the very beginning, I was surprised by how quickly people became very open and vulnerable, the way that the intimacy worked, even in what felt like a large group setting. Um, and I tend to... But 
I think it's, it's the, this is a place of trusting the Holy Spirit, trusting that God is bigger than a given belief, if we will show up and trust the Holy Spirit. So I think there's a lot of hope in seeing, again, people from kind of a, a wide range of, of backgrounds and beliefs submitting to the Holy Spirit. I think returning to leaving space for mystery. Well, friends, we wanted to take a break from our conversation about Advent just to remind you about Transforming Community 20 that's coming up. It's starting April 21 through 23. We're taking applications now. And one of the things I'd like to mention about Transforming Community is that we really do work hard to create a safe space to be with our honest questions and our honest longings. And to be able to do that in community with other leaders is is just a real gift. We are very confidential. We give real structure for how to have these kinds of conversations. And it's a real blessing especially to leaders who don't have as many safe places as, as other people might have. And so we also want to let you know that like we've been presenting Visio Divina and some very artful expressions about our faith in this season. And we do highlight many spiritual practices and give leaders an opportunity to try some new things. If you're a leader who's interested in entering in to a safe space with your own honest questions and longings, if you are looking for some fresh spiritual practices in your life that might revitalize your relationship with God, We would love to have you consider joining us, and we are taking applications now. Please go to our website, transformingcenter.org, if you'd like more information about the upcoming Transforming Community, and you can use Podcast 20 as a code to receive $50 off your application fee. And now, back to our conversation. Well, and I would say to stay the course. To yeah. me, that's a really mighty thing, like whatever your course is, mm-hmm. to be able to stay it, you know, to stay your course and finish it out. I mean, you know, I think that's, you know, each of us has a different race to run and to be able to stay the course and to do what is yours to do is a really profound thing to be able to say yeah. in life. You know, can't do yeah. what everybody else is doing, but I can stay the course with what is mine to do. And there is a certain might in that, a certain strength and stamina and resolve that is, is very mighty, you know? Oh yeah. We've mm-hmm. all say there's somebody you want to, you're like, you should meet this person. Why? Well, they, it doesn't have to be a veteran of war, but you mm-hmm. know, that counts too, but like they, they went through something yeah. and they mm-hmm. came out on the other side yeah. and they have wisdom and they've been transformed and we, there's something about them now. Like that's a, the mightiness is being willing to go through mm-hmm the very hard thing you're being asked to go through. But on the other side of that is something that you can offer to others that people find. There's a solidarity in that. How many times have we, we talked about this uh, before where you were saying, we need somebody to bear, oh, you're talking about spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. We need somebody to bear witness to what we're going through too. How many times has it been so comforting when you find yourself in the middle of something and then somebody's like, oh, I went through that too. Mm -hmm. You're like, you did? You're like, yeah. And then that, there's that like softening and connecting of human hearts that happens because that other person went through that. Like there's going through things is difficult, but also it's a mighty act that, that transforms human hearts and God's all about transforming human hearts. That's where we find a savior that can relate to all the things that we're going through. And as it relates to Advent, I, you know, when you're saying stay the course, I'm like, what if I don't know the course? Like, I don't know that I have a course. Mm-hmm. I think that I know places where I have been placed to stay for a while, mm-hmm. you know? And so to just to stay present to what is mine to stay present to, even if I don't know where it's going or what the outcome is, that in Advent, in the waiting, to stay in the waiting, to stay mm-hmm. 
to stay faithful to whatever it is that it, even if you don't mm-hmm. know, you know, you have a very clear course, you know, laid out for you that you know what God has given you to do. And for those of us who are sometimes not as sure, I can tell you some places Mm-hmm. that I know that I've been called to stand, you know, or some places or relationships that I'm going to continue to be in and faithful to. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's encouraging too, to see that as a, as a strength of staying and waiting for what is to come. Mm. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> I'm not trying to tie this in like a bow, but I feel like what you read in the lectionary actually really ties into what you said. What was the thing in the lectionary about the yeah, the New Testament epistle for this week is First Thessalonians 5. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the real encouragement. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's so encouraging, yeah. you know, to either one of our situations, you know, that that it it's God's job, you know, to, to keep us and to keep us faithful. We're not doing this all by ourselves in our own strength as well. And we certainly do need that because sometimes we feel our own, the, the limits of our own strength. We, we feel our own strength waning, but knowing that God is faithful to bring forth from our lives what it is that he intends kind of lets you relax a little bit. Well, and there's also a human development piece of this too, yeah, that I that is part that of what youth yeah. is, is coming up into your strength, yeah. you know, and yeah. you don't want, you don't want anyone not to get that if it's theirs to get, you know, that season in your life when you do feel your strength and your virility and your whatever, that is a beautiful gift of God that we get to pass through. We get to have an experience of an empowered life where in many cases we're able to accomplish a few things and then something comes in, Right. That, that reminds us, oh, you know, the limitations of an illness or a surgery that you need to have, which is a place of grave vulnerability when you're naked under that sheet and getting ready to go, you know, be put yeah. under anesthesia mm-hmm. and then go under somebody else's knife. I mean, somebody who knows more than you do and you completely have to trust yourself to them in a great deal of vulnerability. Then God begins to speak to you and it comes sooner rather than later for some. Some people get to live for longer than others in terms of feeling their strength and their almost their invincibility. And so a deeply spiritual moment when we face for the first time, you know, or the second or the third, the fact that we are not invulnerable, you know, yeah. that the very definition of being human is that we will be vulnerable at times, which is to me why it's so amazing that Jesus wanted to take on this experience, you know, mm-hmm. because Jesus didn't have to. We do, but Jesus didn't have to. Jesus could have existed forever as just a disembodied spirit, but chose this journey and accompanies us in it through that. So I like to see all of these experiences, whether it's experiences of strength and beauty and all of that, or experiences of weakness and vulnerability, that there's, there's something of God in each of those, it says something to us about who God is. And there are gifts in all of it, even the hard ones, you know? Yeah. So this has changed, like, you know, the aging process is not an easy thing. It, I mean, aging is not for the faint of heart at all. But And, but, and yet it happens to 100% of people. 100% of us. It's, and diminishment, <laughs> yeah. like the word diminishment <laughs> yeah, is yeah, a yeah, really yeah. powerful word yeah, that right. we will all be diminished in terms of our capacities and our capabilities. How do I find God in that? Where is God in that? That's a really, really important question. There just are the things that God wants to reveal to us. And when you see someone not only birth and live their life well, but die well, you know, experience their diminishment and their death well. My parents were particularly, I mean, I think they did an amazing job and it's changed me forever. 
And, you know, Ron Rollheiser talks about not just giving your life away, but giving your death away, mm-hmm. you know, like walking through death, diminishment and death also in a way that blesses others and blesses the world and, and reflects something else of who God is. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. And it all happens, like you said, in this body. Yeah. Like we wouldn't be able to do any of these things or know God the way we know God without being in this flesh. Right. Yeah. I feel like we could start a whole other podcast about <laughs> about aging because that's yeah maybe we because that's a great I think maybe the place that the you the listener and we can continue to have conversations is what I think that mighty God image showing Jesus as an infant mm-hmm. or newborn baby, but we also know he becomes a full grown man is. What are you? You alluded mm-hmm. to it. What are the generational and physical time? Like, what does it mean to be in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s? How does that affect your spirituality? How does that affect your contribution? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's certain things you're not going to be able to to do anymore. Or and and there's certain like I don't know. There's an aspect of getting older. It's just like, oh, thank God I'm older. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to be younger yeah. anymore because I had to live with all of that. Mm-hmm. And yet there's the loss of yeah. It's like, oh, like running mm-hmm. is a little bit harder for me nowadays. Or mm-hmm. you know, and you those, mentioned being really really sore for <laughs> really, days really sore after from working a s- out. Simple yes, exercise. I like a, oh yeah, the <laughs> spiritual practice of stretching as you get older. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there are these. I like uh, that the spiritual practice of stretching. Let's spiritual use access. let's use that on many levels mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. the spiritual yes. practice of stretching yeah so this this uh, this conversation of embodiment leads us to really identify where we're at um what can we do what's maybe passed us by what's possible that i didn't even see i'm 46 mm-hmm. now when i was about to turn 40 which i joke is an i know is a number created mm-hmm. by astronomy you know it's mm-hmm. just like a number but it's a it feels like a threshold it feels like crossing some kind of bridge or something one Mm -hmm. half to the other maybe it's based on numerology i don't know but like i was kind of terrified about it not terrified i just was like i don't know what to think about it and i realized what i had was a lack of imagination of what was possible and so i was like oh i have to get a better imagination so i started i i I looked at who do I know that's in their 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. and I just started asking them. I said, what's the gift of your 40s and your 50s? And and 40 and 50 are different, by the way. They are different. They are. <laughs> he wanted to have something I'm, else to look I'm forward just, to. I'm just something saying, further 40 down. and 50 are their own markers. Yeah, yeah. I'm very much looking forward yeah. to But it could go, what's mm-hmm. the gift of your 60s? Mm-hmm. What's the gift of your 70s yeah. if you even make, mm-hmm. 80s if you make, you know? What is hindering us is like a lack of imagination of what it could mm-hmm. be. Because all I can think about is like, well, I won't be able to do this, and I won't mm-hmm. be able to do this. And it's like, but, you know, one of the things that was said is like, oh, you really receive the gift of yourself. Mm-hmm. I was like, that sounds amazing amazing Mm -hmm. like i think somebody in their 50s was just like you know you spend a lot of your life like wishing you were somebody else or lament and then if i just have owned the gift of my life and it's very wonderful to own i was like that's a great gift to receive okay i'll receive you know what kinds of things lie ahead of us in in our in our lives as uh, christ followers and our lives as people that maybe we just have a lack of imagination of, you know, and yeah. and I think that's a great invitation. Well, as we wrap up this episode, then, is there any place in which you feel like some of the sacredness that we've put around the story has detached our own humanity from it? And what would be the invitation as it relates to that? Because it's kind of how we started was <laughs> that some of the ways that we paint the picture of this season 
makes it far from us rather than right with us where we are. Sure. If, if I could give, if people feel like they have time, I know it's a season of feeling like you don't have enough time, but one thing I tell people to do is I was like, you know, instead of writing your prayers down for, a, why don't you draw your prayers for a week? Just draw your prayers, see what happens. And you could do an exercise where it's like, how is, how are you in the nativity story? How is your, take your Christmas photos and draw a star in there or draw some shepherds. I don't know, like, cause it's, it, back then it happened in the very lives of people. And I think it's still happening in the very lives of us. So this idea of like, how do you make a sacred image? Draw it out, find some objects in your, that are a part of your life and, and try to give reverence to it. I live a life with a coffee machine and we have a deep relationship. <laughs> if I was going to give reverence to this wonderful thing that gives me joy in the morning, how would I give reverence to it? What would I make? You know, like practice making things like there's so many reverent and sacred things around us. It's just really our intention of trying to say how much that means to us. That's what I think, at least in my vocation of memorializing and giving reverence to things that are important. It's a wonderful habit because then all of a sudden all of these things just pop out and you're like, these are amazing. This person's amazing. This place is amazing. This thing that was made is amazing. And the act of giving reverence to something is a wonderful creative act. So just start with your coffee maker, start, start with your, <laughs> start with your, whatever, whatever, whatever you, whatever gives, helps you have like a more deep and meaningful life. Give reverence to it. I think that's a wonderful practice. And to recognize do. that you wouldn't be able to engage with it without life and a body, you know, without, yes. without being a body. We yes. would not get to yes, engage yes, in yes, any yes, of yes. that. And the yes. gift is that we have a body that yeah. helps us to experience all those things. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to just offer up one another practice we could consider. Fantastic. And that is that when we go through something in our body, whether mm. it's surprising or ordinary, mm -hmm. that we might stop and reflect for a minute mm. on where is God in this experience? What does this experience in my body tell me about God? What is God trying to say to me in and through my body? And, it, you know, I think if we really see our own journeys, not just Jesus' journey as an incarnational journey, but if we see our own journeys as an incarnational journey, that we're somehow embodying who God is by being on the earth and human way, just to go through our own practice of, of elevating these experiences in our bodies to the spiritual and to, to, you know, to see them as part of the spiritual journey, to attend to them. And it, even if they're hard things, like could be good things, but it could be hard things too. Like if someone is going through an illness or a time of needing to heal something in their bodies or a time of pleasure or, you know, we're, we're in a season where there will be pleasures of this season. So many. And so how can we experience those as a place of connection with God in, in a really conscious sort of way, aware that by having this experience in my body and really paying attention to it, I'm actually incarnating God, you know? I'm on the same journey Jesus is on, this journey of incarnation. Amen to that. Okay, well, to bring us to a close in this conversation, Ruth, I think that you have a poem that you'd like to share with us. I do, and the title is Good is the Flesh by Brian Wren. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the birthing, the milk in the breast. Good is the feeding, caressing, and rest. Good is the body for knowing the world. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the body for knowing the world, sensing the sunlight, the tug of the ground, feeling, perceiving within and around. 
Good is the body from cradle to grave. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the body from cradle to grave, growing and aging, arousing, impaired, happy in clothing or lovingly bared. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh, longing in all as in Jesus to dwell, glad of embracing and tasting and smell. Good is the body for good and for God. Good is the flesh that the word has become. <laughs> 